Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, March 26th, another fantastic day of the Miami Open in the books. What did we learn as tennis fans? All of the trends we've been seeing in the lead-up events to this 1,000-level tournament in Miami, they haven't been a ruse, or should I say a rusavori. Can't avoid that pun given the talented 21-year-old Finnish player delivered our biggest upset of of the day, he knocked off the number three seed, Alex Zverev. Of course, there were upsets throughout the day on both the men's and women's side. You look, we had six of our men's seeds upset. We lost four of our women's seeds on the day. Of course, there were a couple of fantastic performances from our top seeds. Some of these players I mentioned who had success here early in the season, continuing to have success here early in Miami. So I want to talk about all of Friday's action. We're going to focus on this 1,000 level event. We'll save the ATP Challenger action for next week with David Gertler. It was a fantastic day of college tennis action. I was in Champaign, had to watch the Illini knock off my Wolverines in what was some truly spectacular outdoor college tennis. I have a million thoughts on that match. I'll save them for when we have Matt and Chris on the podcast next week. I know NC State also got knocked off. I know USC loses to Arizona. I think for like the third time in program history. These are all notable things that all happened on Friday across the various levels of the tennis world. But again, we're going to save them for David Gertler and Matt and Chris on Great Shot Podcast next week. Want to keep all of you updated on what's happening in Miami because that's something we're going to see day in, day out here across the weekend. And I imagine by the time you're listening to this podcast, you have probably already seen a lot of Miami Saturday action or Certainly, uh, that action has gotten underway by the time you're listening to this podcast. So I'm not even going to preview Saturday's uh, Miami action. I'll, t- I'll recap Saturday's action Saturday night, get that podcast out to you Sunday morning. We can reset everything heading into next week. But I didn't want to leave you all high and dry because I feel like I've been promising some weekend podcasts and just due to various broadcasting commitments, various things we have going on here at Crack Rackets headquarters. Thursday night, I was up late working on an article for... For uh, our friends at Outkick and at like 2.37 a.m., we lost power in our house in Indy. And so I had to work until my laptop ran out of juice. Uh, But of course, again... This is the effort we go to here at Cracked Rackets. I'm not trying to brag on ourselves. There's just a lot going on in the tennis world, and it feels like if you skip one day, you fall behind. That's the last thing we want to feel here at CR. That's the last thing we want you listeners, you followers of the sport to feel. So again, going to keep it all Miami-centric here on today's podcast. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out, and occasionally on weekends here on the Mini Break Podcast and across our Cracked Rackets podcast is because... Because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Patreon family, and of course from our friends at Midwest Sports and FanDuel. Go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15 to update all of your tennis equipment. Be on the lookout for a podcast, by the way, with our friend Dave Limke set for next week because, look— It's starting to get nice outside, and we all know what that means as tennis fans. Outdoor tennis, whenever you have a free hour, hour and a half, you're texting all of your buddies, you're texting all of your hitting partners. Let's get back outdoors. Look your best, feel your best. 
play your best with our friends at Midwest Sports. Use that promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. Of course, it's also March. What does that mean? March Madness. The Sweet 16 field is set. My Wolverines set to take on, I think, Florida State tomorrow on the men's side. I know we are set to play Baylor here today. That game uh, getting ready to get underway as our, I yeah, I think that's a tomorrow or a Saturday game. Anyways, um, look, it's great to be a Wolverine right now, but it's great to be a college basketball fan in general. And if you would like to take advantage of that action or perhaps you just want that extra incentive since you know everyone around you is going to be watching the games, you can take advantage of an incredible offer to get in on the Sweet 16 action with our friends at FanDuel. Here's how it works. If you go set up a new FanDuel user account, you can bet $5 on any of the Sweet 16 teams to win their game outright. That's on the money line. It can be by one point. It can be by 30 points. Doesn't matter as long as they win. You'll profit $150. That represents an unbelievable 30 to 1 odds boost available after you make your initial deposit. New users can lock in this offer right now by going to fanduel.com slash cracked. That's fanduel.com slash C R A C K E D. 30 to 1 odds, folks. $5 in, 150 back in your pocket, and then you can really get on in on the action in Miami. Go to fanduel.com slash cracked to take advantage of that offer right now. Now, with all of that in mind, that's a healthy size intro for you. It's a Friday night here. I'm loose. I'm ready to go. I've driven to and fro champagne today. So, you know, and by the way, that's not an alcohol joke, not champagne the drink. I've driven to and fro the Illinois campus to go watch the Michigan match. Anyways, uh, there was a ton of fantastic matches up and down the board, but I want to start today. I feel like we've start, you know, ladies first. My mother raised me well. I have proper manners, but I want to start on the men's side today because, again, we saw six seeds upset on the day and yet once I tell you all of the six victories up and down the board I would say only two of them are really surprising and you know the first one is the Emil Rusevori victory over Alex Virev today now it was a three-set victory for Rusevori he comes back after dropping a 6-1 first set to take the next two sets uh, I believe by uh, pretty comfortable score lines I'm seeing here I'm, I apologize the internet page wanted was being rude to me six it was a 1-6-6-3-6-1 victory for Rusevori now context is king and we don't make excuses for he who should not be named anymore, but the number three seed at this Miami event had just won the event in Acapulco. And clearly, as this match went along, his legs uh, went along with them. But look, Emil Rusevori is a stud. And David Gertler and I did a mini break next gen ATP pre- uh, 2.0 podcast about him specifically this offseason because he was a guy we had circled as someone who we thought could legitimately press to make, you know, ATP rankings difficulties aside, but legitimately press to become a top 50 player, if not this season, in the next few seasons, and has a ceiling even higher than that. And you watch him play for two seconds, and if you got the chance to see him play in this Zverev match, you can understand why. He's part of that Andre Rublev FAA class of people where it sounds like a fighter jet is taking off every time he makes contact with one of his ground strokes. And what's so special about him is it's both wings. He can 
absolutely drive through the forehand and the backhand. Of course, the forehand side is the side he can generate a little bit more topspin on, certainly the heavier of the stroke, the backhand more drive than spin-based, but man, can he drive that ball, and he can find the angles off of both wings, and he reminds me a lot of a young Stefano Tsitsipas, a young Andre Rublev in that early in their careers, they did look a little stiff-hipped. They weren't the most fluid, natural of movers. It was never a debilitating issue for either of them, but it was certainly a circle, right? To qu- a question mark to circle is, how good can their movement be if they get pressed by players who have top-flight power? Are they going to be athletic enough to respond? Now, the answer in the case of Tsitsipas and Rublev turned out to be a resounding yes, and I learned my lesson from that because I was a little bit down on them as movers. Clearly, Again, movement is something you can always work on throughout your career. When you've got it, it's something I think sometimes, you know, a guy like a Tommy Paul takes advantage of and, you know, perhaps takes for granted. But, you know, again, Rublev, Tsitsipas, no one would complain about either of their movement. I'm not going to complain about Emil Rusevori's movement. It has gotten significantly better over the past few seasons. And, you know, you look over his past few seasons, this is a guy who's had a ton of success up and down the board. And I promise I'll get to the Miami results specifically in a second, what he did to beat Alex Virev today. But you just look for him. He's 24-14 and 14 in his last 52 weeks. That includes qualifying in Cincinnati, uh, beating Corda in three sets before he lost in three to Berrettini. He then wins a match over Badene at the U.S. Open five sets before losing to Casper Ruud. He went 0-2 on the clay courts, and we'll get back to that thought momentarily. But then, as opposed to going to play challengers, which is where his, you know, low end of the top 100, right around that, you know, he's been ranked about between 80 and 105 over the past 15 months. Uh, Rather than go play challengers and try and rack up wins, he went the qualifying route and went and played ATP 250s. And look, a guy from Finland is not going to get a lot of wild cards unless he was the number one ranked junior in the world. And Rusevori was a very good junior, but he's not a guy who receives a ton of wild cards. So, you know, he goes to Cologne after the French Open. Cologne won. He qualifies before losing a close match to Davidovich Fokina. He then goes to Antwerp the next week, qualifies before losing a close match to Cam Nori, who we'll get to in a little bit, by the way. He then goes to Nur Sultan, qualifies and makes the semifinal of that event. That's the big breakthrough that launches everything we've seen from him this season. And you look for him here in 2021. It's been a really good start for him. Nine and six. He's lost one first round match. It was at the North Sultan Challenger, a match he lost four and two to Victor Troisky. But that's his only first round loss of the year. He's got he beat Troisky a few weeks later, and he's got wins over Monfils, over Vesely. He's actually got two wins over Troisky this season. Uh, he beat Carlos. Alcrez here in round one in Miami. And, you know, I I talk about the movement. I think he's a guy who's certainly been helped by these conditions because he's not a comfortable mover on the clay, but the slow conditions allow him that extra half a second to get to the ball and set his feet. And when he can set his feet, the firepower he possesses from the baseline is just phenomenal. And you look for Rusevori again, 2017, which was when he was, let's look here, 18 years old. He's 11 and four in pro circuit matches. The next year, 49 and 24. In 2019, his big breakthrough season, he goes 56 and 18 overall. 2019, he makes the final of one, two, three, four, five challengers from June to the 
the end of the season. He makes another challenger final to start 2020. He had just proven he had advanced beyond the challenger level and he was ready to go play ATP matches. And you look for him now 18 and 18 in his career at the ATP level, but most notably seven and five here this season. And, you know, he was six and nine last year, but was really good down the home stretch. And, uh, yeah, he, he's starting to find his way that his, you look at his career splits, how they've improved over time. He's a guy who, uh, you know, his hold percentage has gone from 77% to 78% to 80, uh, to 80.5%. You look for Emil Roussevori here this season and in his last 52 weeks, that, uh, hold percentage now up, I believe over 83 or at 82.5%. Now his break percentage has fluctuated a little bit, but he's up to about 40% of his return points one, which are pretty good. And he takes big cracks at the ball, uh, but that works. And, you know, again, the slow courts in Miami were so good for him. And Alex Virev, particularly in that second and down the and start of the third set, was playing seven, eight, nine feet behind the baseline, just using Rusevori's pace, absorbing it, redirecting it. And you can't do that against Emil Rusevori because if you leave enough balls in the center, or if you just give him an easy opportunity in the rally, he's going to go big down the line, be aggressive, take his chances. And, you know, again, in this match, he makes 60.5% of his first serves, wins uh, 70% of his first serve points. Now, when Zverev had the opportunity to attack a Rusevori's second serve, get Emil Rusevori on his back foot, he was 10 of 30 on second serve points. And again, that's where the movement issues, particularly right now, manifest themselves. But to his credit, because we all know Alex Zverev will float a bunny of a second serve, Zverev was only 12 of 33. On second serve points, you know, uh, Rusevori created 18 break chances for himself during the match to Zverev's eight, and ultimately uh, just hit through Alex Zverev, wore him down, and ended up getting the biggest victory of his career. And now he's got a really winnable match tomorrow as he's going to take on Mikhail Yimmer, who had a fantastic three-set victory over Nikolas Basilevich. Really, Yimmer, a fantastic, another guy, ball explodes off of his racket. Not quite the way it does, in my opinion, for um, Emil Rusevori, but I think Yimmer is certainly a better mover than Rusevori. I I like Rusevori's first serve better. I like when things get funky and the match becomes an improvisation. I think Mikhail Yimmer's a better improver. They're both young, top 100 players making their ascension, guys who have the top 50 in their sight and I think will be in the top 50 sooner rather than later. And that's a really exciting third-round match, even though it's not going to feature... You know, it was funny. Everyone's like, oh, it's going to be Bashlishvili versus Virev because, obviously... We're not going to, it's not a funny situation, but everyone was mocking that that was a potential third round. And we get the far more entertaining, well, I don't know about far more entertaining, but we get the far more interesting match from a next gen perspective in Rusevori and Emer. The last thing, because I said, hold that thought on the clay courts. Emil Rusevori's played over 200 matches now in his career. He is currently, uh, 20 and 21, so under 500, but he's only played 41 matches on clay. He's really, you look at the challenger level, he's 8 and 9 at the challenger level on clay. So what I hate if he started off the European clay court sees, well, I suppose if he's got the points now, let's see, where's Rusevori with this third round in the live rankings? Emil Rusevori up to a new career high of number 79. 
I mean, he's probably got to play 250s, but if he goes and plays challengers to start his clay court season just to find some rhythm, I won't hate that. But Emil Rusevori is on the rise, folks. By the way, I'm just looking at the live rankings right now. Here are the guys who, with their results in Miami, have achieved new career highs. And by the way, I keep saying it is a generational shift occurring in front of our eyes right now on the ATP Tour. Emil Rusevori, 21 years old, new career high 79. Alexi Popperin, 21 years old, new career high 81. Sebastian Corda, 20 years old new career high 83 lorenzo musetti 19 years old new career high of number 90 it lloyd harris 24 years old new career high of number 50 folks it's happening i don't know what else to tell you i'm excited for it you all should be excited for it as well as you should also continue to be excited at the opportunity to continue to watch Emil Rusevori. I promise you, if you have not, that's a name you're going to get familiar with over the next few seasons, particularly whenever we're playing a hardcourt event. A guy I imagine a lot of you Cracked Rackets fans are familiar with because we've had him on our Cracked Interviews podcast. He's a guy who was a former ITA All-American, number one singles player in the country while at TCU. Cam Norrie, a former Michigan commit. I feel like I always have to include that fact whenever I talk about him because... On his recruiting visit, he... Whatever. I don't know if I can say that story. I'm not going to say that story. Go check out the podcast if you want to hear more about that story because I think I brought it up on the episode. But that's what we call in the business a tease, folks. Cam Norrie, one of the wins of his career as he knocks off Grigor Dimitrov 7-5-7-5 to advance to the round of 32 here in Miami. You look for Cam Norrie. He doesn't have, you know, the 25-year-old who currently uh, number 56, but with his victory up to number 51 in the live rankings, he doesn't have that overwhelming weapon, that huge serve, that overwhelming physicality, the big forehand down the line. But on a hard court, he moves the ball so well, and it's just a jack-of-all-trades. It's Daniil Medvedev light, and in, in it's the lefty version in that, you know, and he's just going to go cross-court with his forehand, cross-court, cross-court, open the down the line, and it's not just going to be a linear cross-court. It's going to go cross-court, creating more angle which with each and every shot he hits until he hits the short angle, and then, you know, his backhand never going to be accused of being pretty, but his ability to drive that ball and he becomes more and more comfortable. I think he has some trouble sometimes pulling it cross court. It sits a little short in the center of the court. He's getting more and more comfortable with that cross court. And, you know, he's so good at driving that backhand down the line to try and get the ball to the righty's backhand and open up a forehand for himself. And again, he's a lefty, which is inherently a bad matchup for any right-hander with a one-handed backhand. And that's exactly who his opponent, Grigor Dimitrov, was yesterday. And he knocks off the number nine seed five and five was down a break in the first set five three Dimitrov served for the set Nori was able to get the break back by just playing such measured controlled tennis and when I talk about that the stats manifest that self. He won. He made 78% of his first serves, 10 aces, 1 double fault. He was 42 of 59, 71% on first serve points, 9 of 17, 53% on second serve points, saved 5 of the 7 break points he faced, you know, converted on 4 of the 9 break point chances he had, held Dimitrov to 10 of 27 on Dimitrov's second serve, and whenever he got the chance to attack that second serve, it set up everything else he wanted to do in the rally, and he just made the match really physical. And again, on these slow, hard courts, it's a really good matchup for him, and are really good conditions for him. It allows him that extra split second to move the ball around to set up his stroke, and 
you know, just Grigor Dimitrov wasn't patient enough on the day, and Dimitrov didn't play his best tennis, and he pulled out of the double subsequently, um, but... Look, it was just efficient tennis for Grigor, uh, uh, for Cam Nori, and a great follow-up win to his dramatic comeback from down 5-2 in the third against Yoshihito Nishioka in round one. And you look for Nori, 21-14 in his last 52 weeks, 13-6 now to start the 2021 season. He made semifinals of Delray Beach before he lost to Corda. Yeah, he lost a three-set match to Tommy Paul in the warm-up in Australia, but he then beats Dan Evans, beats Roman Sefili, before losing to Nadal in the third round in Australia, qualifies in Rotterdam, beats Baslashvili before losing to Hachinov, won a match in Marseille, you know, wins matches in Acapulco, uh, makes quarterfinals Acapulco, beats Fodnini before losing to Kopfer, and, you know, I think he's won at least one match in eight of his past 11 ATP-level hardcore events, and I think he had the win over Schwartzman last year, first round of the U.S. Open as well, and he's just... Look, in my opinion, he's a top 50 hardcourt player. He has that sort of, you know, discipline on the hardcourt. Such a tough out. If you leave any ball in the center, you're now playing his game. And again, is he susceptible to losing to the guy with the big weapon, the guy who's just going to blow him off the court with the big serve? Sure. But he's also going to make the match really physical. And I think, how you know, him versus Fritz tomorrow is fascinating because Fritz wants to play big tennis. He wants to hit the ball through you. Nori wants to hit the ball around you and a little death by a thousand paper cutsies. So that's a very fun matchup in Miami. Was a great victory for uh, Cam Nori here as he knocks off Dimitrov again. Five in five to advance to the round of 32 in Miami. The last result I want to talk about here quickly because I feel like I've spent a lot of time talking about him on these mini break podcasts over the past few months. Francis Tiafo. Another fantastic win for him as he knocks off Dan Evans 6'7, 6'3, 6'3. The big takeaway for me, Tiafo was broken once. In this, turn, uh, in this match, it was in the first set when he served for the set up 5-3. I think he was up 40-love in the game as well and just wasn't able to close out the set. Um, but then, you know, his first serve here in today's match in particular, going after the Evans one-handed backhand, Tiafo 50 of 64 on first serve points. That's a 78% conversion rate. He made 67% of his uh, first serves one uh, fought off three of the four breakpoint chances he faced, you know, held Evans to 20 of 46 on second serve points and just made the match physical. And on the slow courts in Miami, I can't emphasize it enough, Francis Tiafo is going to thrive. He's got a higher career win percentage on clay courts than he does on hard courts. But of course, his game, you just feel like it's very well suited to hard courts as well. And just his creativity, the slice, his willingness to move forward. Uh, I've always said I think he's a scarier out in a three out of five set match than a two out of three set match, but he made this feel like a three out of five set match. You know, this was a two hour, 50 minute affair. Tiafo just so disciplined, didn't let, you know, didn't start playing, didn't let Dan Evans bait him into just casually hitting slices around the court so that Evans could run around and hit the forehand and then, you know, you're playing his game. Uh, he was really disciplined in this match. And, you know, again, you look for Tiafo now in his last 52 weeks, 20-13 and 13 overall. He has the Nur Sultan semifinal, uh, the challenger title from the end of last season. He has that U.S. Open fourth round. Has started off this season really well. Has only lost first round once. It was to quarantine Mute, three-set match in that Australian Open warm-up. But, 
you know, that's his only first round loss of the season. He went and played the clay courts in South America, lost 7-6 in the third to Musetti last week, but his bounce back really nice here with two three-set wins over Treviglia and Evans. And you look for Tiafo. he has played three-set matches in five out of his last six matches. The only one that didn't go three sets was a 7-6, 7-6 loss. Uh, yeah. Tiafo makes matches physical, and the forehand is what it is, but his first serve percentage continues to improve. His first his win percentage on first serves continue to improve. He just he gets a little bit better at everything each and every month, and I think that's scary because there's still a lot of upside there for Francis Tiafo. It's like as soon as the forehand return is not a liability, now what do you do to attack him? Uh, things become very, very interesting. So, again, it was a great win for him over Evans, uh, another one of the upsets on the day. And I mentioned it, Dimitrov, uh, a seed upset. Evans, a seed upset. Zverev, a seed upset. You also had uh, David Goffin losing just a strange straight set match to James Duckworth. Duckworth lost first round at the Cleveland Challenger a week ago. Now he beats Goffin, who made an ATP or who won an ATP title a few weeks ago in Marseille in straight sets. You also had Basilashvili, as I mentioned, losing in three sets to Emer, and then. I don't know if this is an upset given their recent form. Alexi Paparin just won his first ATP title in Singapore, but that he beat Riley Opelka in two straight non-tiebreaker sets, uh, that is a little bit of a surprising result. So a credit to Alexi Paparin, who just continues to have success with his first serve, uh, just with his first serve plus one style of tennis. But those were the big results to run through the rest of them. Medvedev. It was too easy for him today against Lou. Straight set victory. Bautista Gu got it, unfortunately, a withdraw from Lloyd Harris, who just, you know, again, has played a lot of tennis of late. You also had straight set victories from Seeds. FAA over Air Bear. That's a really nice win. Hachinov over Hanifman. The Deuce over Ernesto Escobedo. Yannick Sinner, 2-2, two and two, made it look easy against Hugo Gaston. Taylor Fritz fantastic 2-2 two two result. He was on a mission against Marcos Giron here uh, to, on Friday, and then uh, you had straight set wins from Struff and Bublik. The last one, I, sh- I would spend more time if I hadn't already spent, what, 20 minutes talking about this ATP side of Miami. John Isner, three-set come-from-behind win against Mackie McDonald. Mackie did such a good job of, you know, playing first-strike tennis, playing, you know, again, going after his approach shots, keeping Isner on his back foot. I think Mackie continues to play really, really well, and I think I talked about him already earlier in the week. But, look, these slow, high-bouncing courts, if you're seven feet and can hit a kick serve, you have about four seconds to get to the net, and you're on top of the net, and your opponent's in a horribly compromised position. These courts conditions are just perfect for anyone who likes a slow, high-bouncing court or anyone who can hit a kick serve 15 feet in the air. John Isner is one of those people. Uh, he advances in three sets. That's your men's side. On the women's side, there were Again, a bunch of really interesting upsets and fascinating matches on the day. Although, you know, again, what really is an upset in women's tennis anymore? I would say Kiki Burton's the number 10 seed straight set loss to Samsonova. That's not an upset given Burton's still coming back from multiple injuries and trying to find her form. Petra Martic, a three set loss to Kalinskaya. I don't view that as an upset because slow hard courts and you know actually you'd think that'd be a good thing for Petra Martic, but Kalinskaya has got that sort of firepower. I just think that's a great matchup for her. And so yes, it's an upset, but not the most upsettiest of upsets. 
you know, certainly Jen Brady, three-set loss to Sarah Cerebes Tormo, given it's a hard court match, you expect Brady to win that one, but that match just got physical, and it was really, really fun. And then Yulia Putinseva should have lost the first set, was down 40-love uh, in the service game, I believe, of Stanjanovic serving for the set, ended up taking the first 7-5, had match points in the second before Stanjanovic was able to come back and win in three. I do think that one was an upset, but just, again, up and down the board, there was some really fantastic tennis. We saw the return of Sonia Sofia Kennan. She gets a 6-7-6-1-6-3 victory over Andrea Petkovic, and I have to say, you know, there were times when Kennan clearly was getting frustrated in the first set, but as that match went on, she looked better and better. She was hitting every corner. She was driving down the line. She was going short angles, cross court. She was driving cross court. I thought she served pretty well in the match. She made 69% of her first serve points, uh, 168% of her first serve points, 57% of her second serve points was only broken twice in the match. You know, when she could get Petkovic stretched to the outer thirds, the point was essentially over from there. But, I mean, Kennan got her stretched and stretched and stretched. It was just it, all of the variety was in play for Sonia Kennan. So it was a great win for her, fantastic win, a much-needed one for Elena Rabakina, the number 21 seed, 4-0 over an informed Kaya Kanepian. Look, Rabakina, 14-11 and 11 in her last 52. But if you look at all of the losses she has taken, uh, really since the restart of the tour last season, those 11 losses, three sets to Jabour in Dubai. That was a fantastic match. 6-6 six and six to Sigamund in Doha. That wasn't either or. The straight set loss to Farrow in the Australian Open, that wasn't great. But then three sets to Krejcikova, 10-6 in the third, whatever. Three sets to Sabalenka in Abu Dhabi. Sabalenka was on a 15-match win streak at the time. Three sets to Kasakina in Ostrava. Three sets to Farrow at Roland Garros. Three sets to Svitolina in Strasbourg. Three sets to Putin Seva in Rome. A loss to Shelby Rogers at the U.S. Open was fine, given how well Rogers was playing. And then a 5-6 and six loss to an informer Katerina Alexandrova at the Western and Southern Open. Like, 14-11 and 11 sounds bad, but context is key, folks, and confidence is such a big thing for the power tennis of Elena Rybakina. And I have drilled home this pun, this comparison so frequently over the past few podcasts, and I am apologetic for that, but she lives in Serena Williams' power tennis neighborhood. Like, she does. Go watch Elena Rybakina play for 10 seconds, and you're like, oh, okay, like, that's power. It's really impressive, and it's very line-drivey, but she's also comfortable moving forward. She's got really nice hands at the net. You look in her last 52 weeks, the first serve percentage, 58.1, leaves a little bit to be desired, but a 70.5 win percentage on first serve points. I will take that every day of the week. Um, She's, I mean, and then her ability to take Big cuts on second serve return points. She's someone who's win, you know, wins so. Let's look at the tennis abstract leaderboard for the WTA. Let's look at the. I'm I'm not going to look at this season. I'm going to look at the 2020 season because that's going to be more favorable to Rabak. And I'll look at both. Let's see. In the last 52 weeks, as a return, Lelena Rabakina as a second serve return. I want to see if she's in the top 10 because I feel like with her aggression, she should be. Wow, that she's not as actually. Wow, she's actually ranked. Let's see, 50. 49th, 48th, 47th, 46th. Wow. She's 45th in the top 50. But that's this season. Or that's in the last 52. Let's see. In 2021, she is currently ranked in the bo- near the bottom. In 2020, she was ranked near 
the middle. So uh, she was around the 30 range. All right, leave all of this in, West Stuff, because this is a fun revelation for me. Nevertheless, it's because she goes for broke. And when you go for broke, you need to have confidence. And, you know, when you're losing so many close matches like she has over the past seven months, it's hard to find confidence. But to beat an inform cannot be 4-0, to make 75% of your first serves, to, you know, uh, convert six of your 11 break point chances, to win over 50% of your return points in the match, and you look for her. Elena Rabakina won 33 of her 56 return points. That's a 58.9 win percentage on the day. She dominated. She played strike, for, you know, first strike tennis, and she was landing her first strike today. And on these slow courts, to give her an extra split second, and you know, she's not someone who's that comfortable yet moving on the clay. She is plenty comfortable moving. On. Actually, that's a lie. She is comfortable moving on the clay, but she's, you know, again, you give her an extra split second to load on either her forehand or backhand wing. Good luck, rest of the tournament. So Rabakina, a dangerous floater if she starts to get confidence. And you look for her now, Elena Rabakina, uh, in her next match is going to be taking on Sarah Cerebas Tormo. That's a very winnable match. Cerebas Tormo is going to throw a lot of backhand slice at her. She's going to track down that extra ball. But if Rabakina stays disciplined, stays focused, she should win that match and find herself in the round of 16. So a great win for Rabakina. She stood out just to blitz through the rest of the results on the day. Three-set win for Kontave, three-set win for Jabour against Kirstea and Bedosa Jabeur. Respectfully, they you know have lost a combined five first-round matches in their past combined, I think it's 27 events. So yeah, usually uh, they're seeds now for a reason. They're top 30 players for a reason. You have to be really good to beat both of them. I thought Andrescu played a really, you know, again, it was a nervous, it was a tentative first set against Martin Sova, but then she ended up coming out firing in the second set, and she earns a 7-6-6-2 victory on the day. Uh, I mentioned the upsets already. Your other victors, Anissa Mova, straight sets over Steven. Sakari, straight sets over Roos. You also had straight set wins from Mertens, Pliskova, Muguruza, and Pagula, who continues to roll. And then Naomi Osaka, really fun 7-6-6-4 win over Tom Janovic. Her backhand might be even more impressive than her serve. I'm referring to Osaka. Tamjanovic to me is like Garbine Muguruza 0.8. She's got a lot of length, a lot of speed, a lot of power, but it's just not quite as refined as Muguruza's. Still, she gave Osaka a test, but Osaka just a little bit too good in the end, and so now she will advance to the round of 32. And again, it's a really fun day of round of 32 matches on Saturday for the men's first half, I believe, or I believe first half round of 32 for the women's second half round of 64 for the men. You know, you've got things like Kerber Azarenka, Svitolina Alexandrova on the lookout for that Konya Sviantek match and a Konya former top ranked junior in the world. She's not quite where she needs to be movement wise, but her ground strokes are just so freaking phenomenal. But anyways, that's a, that's why that Iga match is going to be really funny because Iga is going to push her certainly. Uh, and then, you know, Sabalenka, Kudermatova, just uh, Ostapanko, Barty. I'm in. I'm all in on Saturday's women's matches. The men's match I didn't even mention, you know got the second half of the seeds in play as well. So top to bottom should be a really fun day of tennis on Saturday. Of course, as I mentioned at the top of today's podcast, I'm just going to keep this mini break focused on all of the action happening in Miami. If you want to hear more about what's happened at the challenger level, at the college level, go check out our Great Shot podcast feed. We've had some phenomenal guests here this week, Matt Sikoyak, Chris Halioris, uh, David Gertler, to talk about the various levels. Ben Rothenberg joined me earlier 
early in the week on a mini break podcast to offer our thoughts on the first third of the season. Michael Costa, correspondent for The Daily Show, former Illinois men's tennis. Uh, I don't want to say great because that's a stretch to call him a great, but firm, former rock solid player, one of the foundational pieces, as he mentions, to the Illini men's tennis program. Uh, very fun podcast. Join me on the Cracked Interviews uh, show. And of course, again, we've had many breaks day in, day out. So if you've missed any of the action, you can go find it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, The Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast. It helps us with the robots. You need more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly. I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to the super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. Shout out to our friends at FanDuel. Remember, 30 to 1 odds, all available to you. FanDuel.com slash cracked. But with that in mind, for our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and FanDuel, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.